0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: All right, we're back. Back from the bye week Colts and Buccaneers coming up. Later this Sunday, I am Kevin Bowen. Eddie Garrison is with us. Here on the ones and twos, we will be uh, back in our normal routine of these Monday-Wednesday podcasts, and I'm guessing this is going to be pretty much status quo throughout the final seven weeks of the season. Obviously, the Colts sit uh, right now in ninth in the AFC standings. Uh, If you look at the quarterbacks down the stretch, it's been something I've tried to preach really all year long, and honestly, some injuries have played into it Even more, but Baker Mayfield, Will Levis, Jake Browning, Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Aiden O'Connell, C.J. Stroud. Woo! That is the quarterback list here for the final seven weeks of the season. Five and two, in my opinion, uh, certainly will get you in. I would think four and three. Um, If the tiebreakers fell your way, you would have an opportunity as well. So we'll see. How the Colts handle these final seven weeks, Eddie? Welcome back from the bye week, sir. Welcome back to you as well. Um, why aren't the Colts on prime
2: time with those quarterbacks on the upcoming <laughs> schedule, KB? Like,
1: come on. So, are you saying uh, you know Steelers, Colts in a few weeks? Will that be flexed? In, no, you
2: know? no, 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 no. Colts, Bengals. Oh, That's Colts right. Bangles. Jake Browning and Gardner Minshew. Get it on Sunday Night Football. Yeah. Screw whatever game is scheduled. <laughs> Uh, by the way, how was Tennessee-Georgia? Tennessee-Georgia
1: I mean, was awesome. Obviously, the first play of the game, I thought an earthquake was happening in Knoxville. Uh, after that, it was a bit of a lackluster performance, to say the least, from the Vols. But no, it was a great, great time. First SEC game, uh, experience was uh, tremendous. The stadium was was really cool. Definitely an old stadium. Honestly, felt like IMS. It's kind of like, this is our old, you know, uh, we're not going to make any updates to it. You know, you're, you're peeing in troughs. You know, I feel like I was back over at the Speedway there. But, Let's go. Uh, the atmosphere, SEC, lived up to it. I know yeah. you love the troughs. Great time. Love the troughs. I'm Team Trough, 1,000% there. Um, By the way, it's Cowboys-Eagles, so
2: yeah, definitely flex that one out of there.
1: N- not going to be. Uh, yeah, Darn it. Getting flexed out of there. Uh, we're going to play the Dane Brugler interview coming up on this week's pod. Again, kind of more of a bye week, more of a big picture view. Obviously, Wednesday we'll get into Bucks and Colts. Um, so we'll look ahead a little bit of the 2024 draft. Dane, as always, terrific insight. So, uh, we'll play that coming up here in a bit. Go over some things to watch for the final seven weeks out of the year, not just the playoff push. I mean, yeah, I mean, you come back from the bye week, Eddie, and you're there. I mean, you're five and five. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm thinking of the standings off the top of my head. I think you have games against six and seven, uh, Houston and Pittsburgh in some order. And then I want to say you've got games against like 10 and 11 in Cincinnati and Las Vegas. So, um, you're going to see a lot of these teams. And I would say the best thing for the Colts right now, outside of a very manageable schedule, Eddie, they're 4-3 in the conference. And if you look at it right now, they're tied with, is it Cincinnati and Denver maybe? or Yes. So they're tied with Cincinnati and Denver, but they are technically atop that three-team grouping because they have the best conference record, which outside of head-to-head, that's where you would go to. So... Uh, Yes, Sunday matters, but honestly, if you're going to get kind of nitpicky, the AFC games matter more than this final, I guess I should say, the second-to-last NFC game of the year, because you still have Atlanta coming up in a few weeks um, should we begin? L- let's begin that Chris Ballard stuff, Eddie.
2: Yeah, I was about to say, um, part of your 10 things to watch for that you have on the website 1075thefan.com was the playoff push, so we'll talk about that uh, in a minute. But Chris Ballard spoke with uh, Matt Taylor right on the Colts Audio Network.
1: Uh, it was actually Lara Overton oh, Lara and J.J. And- Stankovitz. Got it. So, yeah, sp- um, spoke with them. I don't think anything too, too earth-shattering, but the first time we've heard from Ballard all season long, I've um, got an article up on our website 1075 fan. If you missed anything there, um, you know he talked about Jonathan Taylor and that contract situation. He talked about Anthony Richardson. Probably the most expansive stuff was Richardson. Several questions there. You know he, he um, was talking about Josh Downs and, and he compared him instinctually to Ty Hilton. That was one of the comments that had me nodding a lot. I think back to when Frank Wright took the job and sat down with Andrew Luck and they brought up Ty and. Luck, you know, mentioned how instinctual TY is, how it might not look like the perfect route necessarily run on paper, but he has such a knack for getting open. Um, You know, I think when you're 5'9 and whatever, 180, 190 pounds, you've got to do something differently. And Josh Downs, I do think, is an incredibly instinctual player. Probably helps that he's got the NFL bloodlines that he does. Um, The Richardson comments, Eddie, you know, basically Bauer talking about the surgery. You know, Ballard is a big baseball guy. I don't know if too many people know that, but he's a really big baseball guy. Didn't his son Cole play baseball? And um, doesn't he have another son that plays baseball as well? That sounds right. Obviously, Cole's getting some quality minutes for Kansas right now, mm-hmm. early in his collegiate career. But, you know, he follows baseball a lot, uh, pay, uh, pays attention to it. And then, of course, you know, when he came in here in 2017, you know, Luck was dealing with the thick of that shoulder rehab. You know, Ballard mentioned, you know, when you're dealing with a rotational body part, And you're obviously a right handed quarterback. That's going to contribute to why they felt like surgery was needed. There was one thing that I didn't necessarily agree with on Richardson. You know, he basically said something to the effect of like, you know, the number one thing for him is protecting himself moving forward. You know, I feel like when you say that, Eddie, it gets into a little bit of a slippery slope of like, this guy is too reckless. And I don't view Richardson like that. Like he's not Josh Allen as a runner. Um, You know, if you look at the four injuries that Richardson suffered, I don't think any of them. I thought he was getting too greedy and trying to get extra yards in a moment when he didn't need to. I didn't think he was necessarily like you know. If you want to nitpick, maybe late in the Jacksonville game, when he kind of lowered his head, lowered his shoulder there. But again, at that point, you you think time and score. I didn't see many like first quarter random second down in your own territory and you're acting like it's fourth quarter of the Super Bowl Um, I will continue to say the phrase for the next 10 months Um, I view the design runs with Anthony Richardson as a limit not eliminate Uh, keep them in the playbook make sure that the defense has to account for them prepare for them but don't do them to the degree that you were because that does expose him to more of those hits and more of those injury-like situations, and that's the risk that you're going to run there. So, um, I, I don't I don't view the Richardson injuries and think it was like his fault. Um, I, I would argue it's you know a little bit of kind of running him too much there. Um, you know, on the Taylor front, I mean, certainly there are questions I would have loved to have you know followed up on of you know what changed with Taylor. You know, thoughts on. Over Stewart, thoughts on Shaq Leonard, some of those topics. You know, Jelani Woods, Nick Cross, et cetera, et cetera. But um, you know, he basically said, you know, keep homegrown players, and you know, stuff got a bit emotional with Jonathan, and that can happen when the business side creeps into it. Um, I am interested to see, you know, when you say the keeping of the hometown players, and I think both Shane Steichen and especially Chris Bowdedy, they have not held back in their public praise for Michael Pittman Jr. You know, what does that mean for him contractually? What does that mean for him franchise tag wise? Um, that'll be something, of course, to keep an eye on. So, those are some of the things that stood out to me. Again, up on the website, 1075thefan.com. A- as always, I think it was, you know, pretty typical Ballard of, I do think based off most GMs, he's pretty expansive in the thoughts that he shares. So, I do appreciate him doing that. Um, but, yeah, that, that's up on our website. To your comment about Richardson
2: of limit, not eliminate, that's the whole reason you drafted Anthony Richardson was to be different and to add a different element to the offense. It would be like neutering your quarterback, for lack of a better phrasing, if you just eliminate quarterback runs or any running from him at all in the offense.
1: Yeah, I I think that is something that there is a balance that you have to strike with that. You didn't draft him to drop back, whatever, 32 times a game and run it as much as I'm trying to think some stationary quarterback in today's NFL run. Matthew day.
2: Stafford. Sure. Jared Stafford, Goff. Yeah,
1: those sorts of guys. But, again, I don't think you need to run him into the ground or have these 8, 9, 10 design runs. If you're going to go that route, you are playing with fire. And you will hear this from me often about, you know, I'm such a believer of how do you create that quarterback stability for, you know, six to eight years. And can you lower the risk? and i think and you have the ability to lower the risk and still make it a weapon. You know, just because you don't run it to the level that you do or don't utilize it, you know, maybe as much as you were doing, the threat is still there. And the defense got to account for that. And if they don't, they can get burned. And i still think it can be a great weapon for your offense without, you know, using it as much as you did, but we'll see how the offseason plays out and you know, I, I don't think Shane Steichen necessarily disagrees really at all with that sort of comment. So that'll be something that obviously will be more of a 2024 focus.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
2: Uh, some other things that Chris Ballard talked with J.J. Stankovitz and Lara Overton about was Shane Steichen handling things to the point in which he has to get the Colts to 5-5. Five and five. Uh, The remaining seven games, DeForest Buckner, Zaire Franklin, uh, Kenny Moore. So, for more of that, go to 107.5thefan.com, and it's right there on the homepage, courtesy of KB. Uh, during the bye week, you whipped up an article about 10 things to watch for after the bye week, uh, starting with number one, and you talked about it a little bit earlier, uh, the playoff push just because of the lack of experience or lack of talented quarterbacks that the Colts play the remainder of the season can make the argument that CJ Stroud is the best quarterback the Colts will see uh, the rest of the season.
1: Oh, I, I, yeah. Frankly, I don't even know if there's an argument now that Burrow is hurt and out for the year. I mean, hell is Baker number two on that list. I mean, it's just it, it's kind of crazy when you look at it. The rest of the way, Eddie, I don't want to go over all 10 of these, but um, feel free to throw any of them at you that make sense to you. I'll I'll, I'll lead off, and I'm very curious to see what Juju Brents looks like for the final seven weeks. Uh, He's missed three in a row with that quad injury, so the first question is, when does he return? And then secondly, whether you're talking short-term or long-term, I think he's a very important piece the rest of the way. Um, Obviously, you're pretty pleased with what Jalen Jones has done, but... That third corner spot remains a question mark. And while I think Tampa has some issues that we'll get more into on Wednesday, they do have a little bit more out juice than the teams you've played recently. So having depth at corner will be important. And Brent's is a guy, uh, in a way, could it be similar to Bernard Ryman's end of last season? Yeah. Where you know he starts to cement himself a little bit more, and now all of a sudden you're sitting there thinking, okay, there is a lot to work with with him and maybe corner is not as much of a pressing need as others might have it here heading into the off season so you know a guy like juju brents when you're talking about his individual self not only again in the short term i think he helps you out because that 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 uh, group has been tested from a depth standpoint but even long term um that's one that I'm going to keep my eye on. For me,
2: it's Quiddy Pay because he had a he had a solid start to the season. He had a sack in what, the first three games of the year. And uh, in his last five games, I think he's had one sack and two quarterback hits. And he's played over 200 defensive snaps. Um, and it's a big offseason for him because Colts have to make the decision if they want to pick up that fifth year option with him being a first round pick. I wrote about it uh, during the offseason leading up to the year. They needed Quiddy Pay to provide some sort of clarity if they have. Something there in terms of an Ed Rusher with him or not. And right now, I would say it's not.
1: Yeah, I, I would say he would fall um, on that list as well. Um, you know, other things, Eddie, you know, just Menchu's resurrection. We talked a little bit about it on last week's podcast, but just the stark difference in him as a starter versus him in relief. Um, I think it's a very fair argument to make that the Menchu we've seen lately is not even the back of the baseball card, it's not even his normal standard. And so, you know, what can you get out of your passing game moving forward? Uh, Two more games without Grover Stewart. Now, I would say some of the best news of that, Eddie, is you faced the worst rushing offense in the NFL this Sunday in Tampa Bay. So that's something that maybe won't be as alarming. New England, you know, they've always been capable, I think, of doing what they did to you, but Tampa Bay is not that at all. So, uh, that's something that I'll be watching for. Uh, anything else on that list stand out to you from what you'll be uh, looking at here down the stretch, just outside of, obviously, a 5-5 five and five football team trying to make the playoffs?
2: Jelani Woods, a lot of hype and expectation of him coming into the season, of taking over the tight end room and becoming the tight end one for the Indianapolis Colts based off of the flashes that he had last year and some of the production he had last year with the quarterback play that was just treacherous for the Colts. and no sighting of him yet. He's been dealing with a hamstring injury, um, at least in terms of being on the football field. Kevin, you've seen him around the complex and in the locker room. But He's yet to make an appearance on the practice field for the Colts to the media ever since going on injured reserve with that hamstring injury.
1: Yeah, he would certainly be a guy. And I would throw Nick Cross in there as well. I know from an availability standpoint, it's been different. Injuries have not been there for Cross, unlike Woods. But you know, think back to those trio of third-round picks from last year. Again, Bernard Ryman you feel really good about. But right now, Eddie, you would enter year three for Cross and Woods, you know, the back half of their rookie deals, and it'd be very much up in the air in, in different ways. Um, and it's not like those positions, Eddie. You have this just like elite pro Bowl talent that it's hard to get those guys in the field. You know, you don't look at safety that way. You don't look at tight end that way. So uh, obviously, for woods, it's more of health than than anything else, but still, um, those are a couple that I'll be watching for down the stretch
2: um, it's about five or six of the 10 so yeah. if you want to see the rest of those go to 1075thefan.com
1: yes um let's dial up the dane brugler uh interview if you don't mind um first question we tossed dane's way of course about this quarterback class the top of it in 2024 and his thoughts on drake may and caleb williams
3: Well, and even over the summer, uh, writing about these two players, uh, the gap was always razor thin. This was a 1A, 1B type of situation. And throughout the course of this year, it's less about what Caleb has struggled to do. And it's more about uh, Drake May being a lot more consistent from the pocket and just being able to execute at a higher rate without, in, in terms of in-structure. You love the out-of-structure plays. You love what uh, these quarterbacks are able to do when things break down by time, make plays happen. But show me a guy that can absolutely – I know that they can do it from the pocket, within structure, understand the play design, and, and get the job done. And I think Drake May has done that at a higher level. And, you know, you, you look at the traits that he offers, the size, the arm strength – uh, the athleticism, he's cut from the same cloth as Justin Herbert. And that's not to take anything away from Caleb Williams. He's still a tremendous prospect uh, and has a very good chance to go number one overall. I, I, bottom line, this is not going to be a consensus quarterback one in this draft. Some teams prefer Drake May. Some mm-hmm. teams prefer Caleb Williams. And, you know, the way the draft order is shaken out, it's it's likely going to be either the Bears picking number one from the Carolina pick or uh, the Giants or the Patriots. Uh, those are the, the three clear favorites for that number one overall pick. So uh, plenty of time, you know, just before we figure out that draft order. But we'll be debating these quarterbacks uh, up until uh, draft weekend, kind of similar to last year with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. And so, uh, you know, it'll be an interesting quarterback uh, draft and, and even after those two guys. So, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun topics here over the next uh, five months.
1: It's a great Dane Brugler. I obviously, find his work at The Athletic. Prospects to Pros is the, is the podcast. An awesome listen here, even before we get into the meat, if you will, of draft season here coming up. Dane, I want to ask your thoughts a little bit more, Colts related to the 2024 class. To me... Wideout, out defensive end those are the two needs that stand above the rest it almost seems like annually for the last few years we've gotten into this oh there's always good wideout out depth this year obviously you have the crown jewel and marvin harrison but still there seems to be some other guys people feel good about so i'm curious enlighten us a little bit more on the edge rush group because i think i can make the argument that that might be the stronger need for the colts
3: yeah and you know i think we uh, in the past it seemed to always been at least one maybe two pass rushers every year that just is kind of stands out as as a top tier player top tier prospect we just don't have that guy necessarily this year We, we there's some quality pass rushers that'll be available and, and, and look you know where the Colts will be picking will probably be somewhere in the teens. Uh, so it, it might, if they did want to go that direction, and obviously we know, you know, general manager Chris Ballard, he, he would love to build in the trenches, uh, offensive line, defensive line. He would love, uh, especially on that defensive line, add more depth, more guys that can get after the quarterback. And, you know, this year's draft, I, I think, you know, you've got a few guys at the top of Dallas Turner from Alabama, uh, Lea Latu from UCLA, Jared Verse, Florida State. Um, now these guys are more, um, I, I think, you know, mid first round type of players than no doubt about it top ten picks. But like we said, where the Colts will likely be picking in this draft, that could work out uh, to their favor, and it just kind of depends on the type of rusher they want. Dallas Turner is more of the speed guy, but he's also outstanding versus the run. Jared Verse. Uh, doesn't necessarily have the numbers, the production in the backfield, but you watch the tape and you see that first step burst. You see a guy that understands hand use and how to break down the rhythm of blockers. And then Latu from UCLA, one of the most productive uh, defensive ends uh, we've we've seen the last two years at the college level. Uh, his cross chop, his technical understanding of his feet and his hands uh, really tremendous. And so as long as the medicals are okay with him, uh, he'll be somewhere in that top 20 mix. So uh, yeah, this is another very short strong wide receiver group uh the pass rusher is not as much but I, where the colts will be picking could work out in their favor
1: dane i am heading to my first sec football <laughs> game this weekend my excitement is through the roof that will be georgia and tennessee Ooh. uh how high of a draft pick will i be watching in brock bowers if i'm not mistaken i believe you had him fourth on your top 50 <laughs> players
3: yeah, and I think a lot of people scoff at taking a tight end in the top five, top seven, but this is a guy that deserves to be drafted that high. Um, this is a you know twenty-one year old version of a George Kittle. Um, you know the athleticism that he brings, um, you know, the competitiveness. Um, you know he he had that tightrope ankle surgery, and it's usually a four to six week injury. He missed two games. Uh, And there there was talk about, oh, maybe you should shut it down. And uh, he said after the game this past weekend that it just pissed him off. You know, he's like, I I play football. What are you you guys talking about? Uh, And this is a guy that's a a difference maker. And I, I do think that it takes an offensive play caller to understand that and to use him in that way. He's not just a, okay, line him up in line and let's go play. Like you want him to be in the slot, you want him to be. He can he can line up in line, um, but you know you want him flexed across the formation and used all over the field uh, because you want to use him as a weapon. And you watch Georgia when you go to this game uh, on uh, Saturday. The whole offense runs through number nineteen. If, if uh, the he's not the intended target, he's running a decoy route because anytime he's out in the route tree there's three defenders trying to, you know, kind of cheating his way, which opens up opportunities for Lad McConkey and uh, these other Georgia wide receivers. So, no, he is a true playmaker, even if, uh, you know, we're going to hear plenty of, oh, you can't draft a tight end in the top 10. Well, it, it, Brock Bowers is more of a, a hybrid weapon than a true tight end.
4: Dane Brugler with us here on The Fan. He's from The Athletic. He joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I love Bowers. Uh, I mean, listen, if he went to the Colts, if he went to a number of teams, I love Bowers how is he different how is he better we heard a lot of the same rhetoric around Kyle Mm -hmm. Pitts I mean Pitts has been playing in Atlanta there hasn't been a lot of good quarterback play uh, there but I guess how is he different how would he be a better pick than Kyle Pitts who went fourth overall and you know right now is 35 catches 400 yards and a touchdown for Atlanta
3: yeah, no, and that's a fair question to ask because I think that's something that'll come up quite often during the process. Um, and, and I think we have to do we have to look out. Uh, you know what you mentioned, where he went with the Falcons. Um, I mean, they just they, they keep drafting these guys, these these offensive skill players in the top ten, and then they don't really feature them. You know, it's happening with Bijan right now, and I mean Drake London's been okay, but you know the quarterback hasn't been consistent, and they're not really scheming their offense to go through these weapons that they have and Kyle Pitts included. Um, And so even though the production's not there, if Kyle Pitts went to, uh, you know, a pick later to Cincinnati, let's just say the Cincinnati Jamar Chase and Cincinnati took Kyle Pitts at five, all of a sudden we look at those two picks very differently because, you know, Jamar Chase is probably not the the same player we think of when we think of, uh, you know, the pro bowler that he is. So, You know, where these guys end up plays such a factor in how we, you know, the course of their career, the trajectory. And with Kyle Pitts, I think that's more of a factor here than simply. Oh, you know, you just it's a cautionary tale about taking tight ends that early. So I think that you have to look at uh, Brock Bowers as just a a weapon. But I do think, like I said, it's important that the offensive play caller is on board with, hey, this is a different type of player that we have to, uh, you know, really adjust our game plan to make sure we're maximizing everything that he can do for our offense.
1: Gotta think Shane Steichen would be in that boat. Uh, again, Dane oh. Brugler
4: is with us <laughs> You want him, don't you? But you you kind of
1: want Bowers. I think I'm in love.
4: Yeah. yeah. I Ballard do. wants I do. to go trenches, mm-hmm. and you may want to go with a sexy pick. Yeah, but Dan
1: edge I know. I, I can't get away from it too, too much. Dane Brugler is with us. Obviously outstanding work over on the Athletic. Again, Prospects to Pros. That is the podcast for Dane as well. I actually want to go back to the Colts draft this past year, Dane. I hope I'm not catching you too off guard with this, so I'll bring up the The name's uh, right right out of the gate. That would be Josh Downs and even Mm Jalen Jones. You were much higher on both of those two guys. I think you had Downs like right around 40 overall prospect. Obviously, the Colts got him to round three. You had Jalen Jones going a couple of rounds earlier than where he went as a seventh rounder. And he's been needed and has been, honestly, I think pretty steady in the handful of games he started. So feel free to take either of those two or both. Josh Downs, Jalen Jones, why did you like them a little bit more than clearly the NFL did?
3: Well, I understand why Josh Downs did, was not a, a first-round pick. You know, he's under five nine. He's one hundred and seventy-two pounds. Um, like I, I, that size with that size, I understand why. You know, he was not his name was not called in the first thirty-two picks, but anywhere in the second round that's where i thought he was in play because you know you you watch his film the last 2 years uh, at north carolina and i mean he had like 200 catches he's getting open at will um now i think you know because he is a slot receiver a lot of teams you know they have their slot receiver okay josh downs is not a a guy that you feel consistently or you feel uh, can consistently play on the outside. So, you know, a lot of teams with their slot options, they just, they, they were set. And so I think that caused downs to fall a little bit. But still, to get him outside the top seventy-five picks was, I, I thought, a, a pretty big surprise. Um, his ability to decelerate and then accelerate is really impressive. It helps him get open. Um, you know, he's a consistent first-down uh, move the chains type of guy. Uh, you know, consistent catcher of the football. He had uh, well over, I think, one hundred and twenty targets last year, and he had three drops. Uh, I mean, this is a guy that you can rely on. So the lack of size I, that gives you pause. I understand that, but. He's just a tough guy to cover, plain and simple, because of the way that he can get open with his athleticism and then what he can do at the catch point. So, yeah, Josh Downs, I thought, was a pretty big steal where they got him. Uh, And then with Jalen Jones, you know, a former really high pick, um, you know, the the former five-star type of guys who didn't really have the college career that many expected. Is he a safety? Is he a corner? You know, there's a a lot more questions than answers with Jalen Jones. But then, when you look at the traits, and you look at okay, he's a really good athlete. Uh, you know, he's he's physical. He he's got a, a lot of things. You know, a lot of raw tools that hey, let's let our coaches get our hands on this guy, see what he can do. Um, and, and that's what uh, you know. In the seventh round, you take those types of swings. And, and I think you know, with those premium traits he brings that. Size, physicality, um, and you know when he's had his chances this year, he's he's done okay, especially considering where he was drafted. So um, you know it, it's uh, it's why teams draft traits, not production. They draft uh, guys that have the tools, and it, it, they trust the coaches to do the rest, especially in those later rounds. I think Jalen J- Jones is a great example of that.
4: Dane Brugler with us here uh, on the wake-up call, hanging out with you until 10 o'clock today. Joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I know you liked Anthony Richardson. You liked the Colts mm-hmm. taking him at four. Since KB asked you about a couple other guys, uh, i ask you, I guess, to fill in the blank. A lot has went into this rookie season. I, I think we have seen that he can play at this level and can do some special things. I'm also terrified at the amount of injuries uh, he's picked. Picked up already in his very young career. How should Colts fans feel about Anthony Richardson? What did you see in the first few weeks of the season when he actually did get to play?
3: Well, he was composed. Uh, You know, you were worried. This is a guy that had under 400 career pass attempts in college. You know, would the stage be too big for him? Um, And it certainly was not. I mean, he looked under control of of that offense. He he looked like he was, um, you know, ready to take the reins. And it's just, yeah, it's unfortunate that he had the injury. um, You know, you you wanted it because this is a guy that needs reps. And that's why it was always – um, you know, it's not a guy that you want to sit. He, he needs to be on the field, get those in-game reps, understand the speed of the NFL, and then, you know, learn on the fly. Take your lumps. There's going to be mistakes, but you understand that. And it's all about the development and getting better and better and better. And unfortunately, that's that's going to be stunted a little bit because of this injury. But, uh, you know, they made the right call, obviously, to kind of shut him down, get him right, coming back next year. You can't predict injuries. But obviously, this is a player that is going to take some hits with the way he uses his legs. You don't want him to stop running uh, that's that's part of what makes him such a special player. Um, but it, you know he's he has the size that uh, you know you hope uh, the injuries won't be a significant factor moving forward um, you know being six four, two hundred forty five pounds and have that type of athleticism that that is a weapon that's part of what made him uh, maybe the main reason that made him a top five pick. So you know, I'm excited for Anthony Richardson moving forward. I'm excited for all these rookie quarterbacks, really. With uh, you know what we've seen from C.J. Stroud has been tremendous. Um, Bryce Young, I think, is in a really bad situation yeah. in Carolina, kind of holding him back a little bit. And then uh, you know Will Levis, and then with Anthony Richardson next year. So you know, if I'm a Colts fan, I- I'm feeling optimistic because you know it's more of a unfortunate injury rather than something that's been a pattern. I mean, he played in. Uh, every game last year except for the bowl game he opted out but he was healthy last year for Florida so I don't think this is necessarily a pattern uh, we're not to that level yet uh, but you know hopefully he's able to stay healthy and be on the field because big things happen when uh, he was the quarterback of his offense
1: all right Dane last one from me obviously the Marvin Harrison sweepstakes the Colts have played too good of football it seems like to be mm-hmm. seriously in that other wideouts in that teen range to keep an eye on
3: yeah, this is it's it's going to be the race to who's wide receiver two because wide receiver one is done. That race is over. Um, I'll be very very surprised if Marvin Harrison Jr. is not a top three pick uh, in April. But then, who's wide receiver two? Is it Keon Coleman from Florida State, Malik Neighbors uh, LSU, Roma Dunzier from Washington, uh, Brian Thomas Jr. the other LSU receiver had a just had a tremendous game over the weekend uh, against Florida, 150 receiving yards. Um, there's a lot of really quality receivers that'll be in this class. And the one that's really stands out to me, the the, the two that really stand out to me with uh, Malik neighbors from LSU, um, not, not the biggest guy, six foot, 200 pounds, but his ability to get open, his athleticism, his catch point skills are, are big time. He's leading the sec in catches for the second straight year. Um, when he catches the ball, it's an explosive play. He has uh, he leads the nation in explosive plays, uh, ten more than number two in the country. Eighty percent of his catches result in a first down or touchdown. Um, so there's just a big. This is a big time playmaker who's still discovering how good he can be. So very optimistic for Malik Neighbors and then Keon Coleman from Florida State, the Michigan State uh, transfer, former basketball player there as well for uh, Coach Izzo. Um, you know, six four, two hundred fifteen pounds. He's a freak. Uh, you know, he is a more. Athletic, more limber version of like a Mike Williams with the Chargers. You know, he has that size where he can overpower and dunk on guys but he's also a really good athlete, so he has some speed. He has quickness. Um, you know, There's just a, a lot that he has to offer that um, you know, you might not even pee there when the Colts pick, but uh, there's going to be plenty of receivers there in that top 20 that teams will be considering. And so for the Colts, I, I think they'll definitely have some options.
1: I lied. Last, last one. Michael <laughs> Penix, just because the local connection sure. here, Dane. Mm-hmm. Um, do you view him as a legit I don't know, second round guy. I, I feel like he's a very interesting one based off the college production, the injury history, and how he projects to the next level.
3: Yeah, you know, and it, there, the projections on him are all over the place. Um, I, you know, some like him in the second round, some like him more in the fourth or fifth round. Um, in terms of scouts uh, in the NFL, uh, it, it, it's a it's a wide projection for Michael Penix. Um, you know, he is a. Uh, really productive college player, but how is that going to project to the NFL where, you know, the delivery is a little long. His accuracy is uh, at times pinpoint, but other times it's not, he's throwing this NFL receivers who often bail him out. Um, you know, there's, I, I give him a lot of credit for what he's doing this year. He, he should absolutely be in the Heisman race, but then you factor in the injuries, you factor in the age, and, you know, I, I think we did this last year with Hendon Hooker. You know, whoa, he's going to be a first-round pick. And, you know, a lot of people, some people put him in the top 10, and, and he went in the third round. You know, and I think that's probably more going to be the projection with, with Michael Pinnix, where good college player, some question marks. Um, you know, who's going to be the team that, you know, likes him enough to take him early? Um, it probably won't be until uh, outside the top 50 picks.
1: I love Dane Broger. I love him. Um, really enjoy his insight. Uh, so I was grateful that he spent some time with us during the bye week That's something I like to do every year in the bye week just to kind of get us a little bit of, all right, let's dip our toes in the water on some draft chatter here. And uh, again, it's a credit to the Colts that they've put themselves in a position, Eddie, where it's not full-on mock draft season. Um, They certainly uh, have a, a, I would say, better than decent chance down the stretch here, given the schedule and given how the rest of those teams look around them to make a push. But Um, Always enjoy Dane's Insights, so thank you to him. Are you ready for Twitter questions? Let's do it.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
2: Jason is up first. Despite whether Chris Ballard or Shane Steichen are sold on Gus Bradley after this season, is he kind of stuck here due to the type of rookie cornerbacks the Colts have drafted?
1: I would hope not. Um that would seem very like short sighted and quite the long leash. I mean, you know, these corners certainly have different body types, but I I, I think you can make the argument they maybe have some body types and more built for kind of press man or or things like that. So um, I would say no and, and and again, when I say I would hope not You can't just like be force-feeding coaches A, you can't be force-feeding coaches Upon the new head coach And I'm not saying Chris Bauer did that with Gus Bradley But B, you need to make sure you're open-minded Because for me, it comes down to this, Eddie Shane Steichen has seemingly taken a very Frank Reich approach With, with the defense Yep that's your baby, Matt Eberflus, you handle it. That's your baby, Gus Bradley, you handle it. You're still the head coach of the football team. And my question would be, do you feel like your defense is capable of playing championship-caliber defense? Uh huh. And that was probably my biggest disagreement with Eberflus. I feel like at times we kind of fell too much into the, oh, he's fine. Is that what you're going for? He's fine? Because that's a defense I see gobs of investments in. Mm-hmm. I mean, litter draft picks. Big money at every level. Of that unit. So, I don't want to accept competence on that side of the ball. You know, do you need to do some things where, yes, you might sacrifice, it might lead to a risk that doesn't go well, but if you're trying to build a championship football team, is it a risk that you need to take?
2: Yeah. I agree with you there wholeheartedly. Bailey is up next. What would you say is more important, KB? The Colts position in next year's draft, meaning the Colts lose as many games as possible, or Shane Steichen establishing a winning culture around Indianapolis again? The schedule definitely is favorable, and I think a first-time head coach would want to win as many games as possible.
1: I mean, is, isn't this the kind? This is the question. And of course, a first-time head coach wants to win as many games as possible. Yeah, I mean, there's no—I don't think there's any debating that. Um, Do
2: you remember the factoid of what year it was the last time a first-year head coach did not make the playoffs? It had to be—I think it was in the early 2000s. I have to double-check it, but I want to say it was like 04 05, maybe. So a first-year head coach has made the postseason? Uh, not has like, not like a. Not technically a first year, like their first time, but their first year with a team. So it could be like, for instance, Frank Reich in Carolina. That would qualify as a first-time gotcha. head coach. Well, I mean, or a first-year head coach. Yeah, Chuck
1: but, Pagano clearly did it here.
2: Right. I think the last I, I did it before, and I looked at. it. I think the last time was like two thousand four. So there's there's been a first time or first year head coach in the playoffs for nineteen consecutive playoffs or something like that.
1: You know, I I, I view this. Um, and a little bit more of a big picture view. And the creating a winning culture, I think, is so hard to quantify. You know, how do you define that? Um, how do you define it when you know Gardner Minshew is not going to be the starter? Um, you know, I, I think that is difficult. I, I there's probably a happy medium between the both of, you know, still trying to find a decently high draft pick and then also Obviously having some winning success so you don't get complacent with whatever standard the franchise has kind of been on here as of late. Um, you know, I go back to, I mean, go back to 98 if you want to. You know, Peyton's first year. Peyton, uh, they went 3-13 and the year before Peyton. They go 3-13 and the year after Peyton. So they had six wins in two years. They draft Edger and James. Would winning culture have helped there in the 3-13 and 13 season, or did Edger and James help create a winning culture? You know, I, I and that's maybe looking at it a little bit too, like in our own little bubble, but I fall a little bit more into the side of a, you are still a major piece of white. Now, of course, those could counter and say, just because you're drafting 8 overall versus 14 overall, it doesn't mean you're getting the better player. Uh-huh. You know, there are tons of draft stories of whatever, 14 overall. Uh, being a better player than eight overall so I I fully understand that just because you lose more doesn't mean that you're getting the better players in the draft and you obviously could count it the other way just because you win more doesn't mean all of a sudden that you've created some winning culture it's going to have some big time staying power Um, I just think the operation is going to be so different next year with Richardson I mean Richardson he didn't start and finish a win this season right correct you know so I mean you know His first win is kind of... I mean, the first time he runs off the field as a winner, that will be the... That didn't happen this season in 2023. So, for me, I've always been a believer with the draft of, like, again, I like to be in control, not having other people decide what's left for me. That's why I was such a proponent last year of, no, 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 I want to trade up and pick Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, whatever. I don't want someone else to make that decision Mm -hmm. and that leaves just two options for me and again I fully get there's a big time price tag when you want to pay for that decision there so um, this is a difficult one this is a really difficult one to um, view now some I think have kind of fallen into this boat Eddie of like they're not getting Marvin Harrison Jr. anyways so what's the point in trying to lose the rest of the games or you know insert some sort of phrase here Again, the counter to that would be like, okay, what if Keon Coleman, for example, turns into the second-best wideout? Or you just heard— Or Malik uh, Neighbors. You know, Dane Brugler talk about Malik Neighbors a lot. Now, if you are drafting 17 instead of 9, do you miss out on those sorts of wideouts? Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess that is a dilemma that you fall into. And I think what makes it so difficult to give a concrete answer on, Eddie, and for an overwhelming majority of people to feel like you're right or you're wrong— is that there's not this black and white with this answer. Because it's so hard to quantify what a winning culture means and how much do wins help that um, versus the draft is a crapshoot. And yes, you have picks that are absolute studs taken at 8 overall, and you have absolute studs that are taken at 18 overall. So, um, I have always been more of a proponent, especially when it's not the rookie quarterback doing the winning that a little bit more of a big picture view via the draft. Uh, because again, I am all about a, on the epitaph, it's how do you create the six to eight year window? And if I look at the Manning era, I think three and 13 after just having three and 13. So they went back to back three win seasons. Mm-hmm. That probably defines a losing culture. Yet they draft Edrin and in one year they go to 13 and three. So that's where I'm kind of at of a, I still think. In the NFL, things can change in a hurry from winning and losing. The question is, do you have the pieces in place to make sure that winning becomes the norm in a six- to eight-year window? And that's where I view it as a: if you get a couple more pieces in the draft. Which, again, just because you're drafting higher doesn't mean that it's a given. So I, that You can poke holes in my little thought process easily. Um, I understand that, but that's kind of where I side with that. I know it's a really long answer, but questions like Bailey's, we get a ton. -hmm. That's honestly probably the most popular question we've got right now, so I wanted to be a little bit more expansive on that. I mean, you know, I I I brought up. I'll just add one more, Eddie. Sorry. okay, Um, I bring up the Jets from last year. Mm -hmm. The Jets won seven games last year, but at the end of the year, their quarterback situation was continued to be a mess. That's kind of how I view it. Of like, yeah, I mean, you can win, but like, what does that do to the future years Mm -hmm. of your franchise?
2: The thing I was going to add here is the positioning, I think, is a little more important when you even factor in the that Michael Pittman Jr. right now, he doesn't have an extension. He's not locked up for the next X amount of years. And if there's no contract agreement between the two sides um, around draft time, you would assume that the, that would be, A, the number 1 priority anyways, just because of the lack of uh, targets and the lack of explosive plays that you've seen from Alec Pierce since drafting him last, uh, two years ago. So I think that has to factor in it too and if to me Malik Neighbors is the second best wide receiver I've loved him all this year and I don't think he's gotten enough uh love just because of how Marvin Harrison Jr is just absolutely an alien but You've got to be up there in that range to get Keon Coleman, normal league neighbors, to me, and without trying to waste future picks
1: down the line. And of course, I hear you on that, but then part of me is like, wait a minute, didn't you just bring up Quadi Pay ten minutes ago? Right. And, and and edge rush and the scarcity of that group. We just heard Dane talk about it. I mean, that is not a group that has the depth of wideout. So, you know, do you get into a situation where does eight slots in a round matter? Again, to some, it might not matter at all. But if in those eight slots, the four wideouts would have been there if that's now one or two wideouts, or instead of four edge rushers available to you, that's one or two, or again, you can play the trade game, all of that impacts it. So I hope that covers it all, Bailey. Again, I know it's a complicated answer, uh, and it's not an easy one in my opinion, and plenty of people disagree with my thought process, but that's me. And this comes from a, you know, again, I'm more of the emotionless observer Uh and fans are obviously not that which is why it's called fandom (laughs) um so that probably plays into some of it as well but in my opinion it's all about creating the six to eight year window not the six to eight day feeling if you will
2: i was right by the way the last time a first year head coach did not make the playoffs was 2004
1: wow so we've had one every year interesting
2: is it going to be denver with sean payton the way they're moving along right now? Well, if you're, if you're the Colts, you hope not. Yeah. Uh, Joel is up next. Is there some lingering injury with Gardner Minshew that we do not know about? His greatest strength was supposed to be his accuracy. It seems like the ball does not come out of the hand well, and passes are routine, routinely off the mark. Uh, something uh, seemed to change in his ability to throw the ball compared to earlier this season when he could sling it. What are your thoughts? Thanks, Kevin and Eddie. Keep up the great work.
1: Jolt's great question. Thank you for those kind words. I would say it's less injury-related, more processing and recognizing. That's what I see. You know, I see the panicking. I see the bailing. I see the jitteriness. I, I don't I don't necessarily see, like, a bunch of throws that his arm can't, you know, write that check. Like, I don't – I mean, sure, it's not like it's a, you know, a, a, a strength of his, but I, I notice it more of the latter. And the numbers, and I know we, we found this kind of late in last week's podcast, Eddie, but I think it's worth repeating. In relief this season, so games where he – the opposing defense did not game plan for him, but he came in. completion percentage, one touchdown, no picks, passer rating 109 yards per attempt, 8.4. In the six games he started, that completion percentage drops 15%. He has 11 combined turnovers compared to zero when he's in relief. The quarterback rating drops 30 points, and the yards per attempt drops a full two. Those are massively different numbers. Eye-popping. Massively different. So, um, you know, I I go back to camp and I think, man, it was really dink and dunk central during camp. But Mm -hmm. he had the big completion percentage. Is that kind of what we're seeing? That's kind of what we're seeing. Um, I think three of the four lowest yards per attempts of his career have come this season with the Colts. So, again, he's not living up to the back of the baseball card either. It's not like there are great numbers of him. But, again, there's a reason why he's thought of as a pretty high-end backup spot starter. He's not getting that completion percentage is lower more turnovers and less overall efficiency from him so that's why it's my biggest question mark here as we return from the bye week
0: whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about Cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you
2: Alex asks a very loaded question here why is nobody talking about the way that Chris Ballard has built this football team? He feels like the Colts never do anything in free agency and at the trade deadline. This year, for example, after the debacle of what of that Saints game, the Colts sat there and didn't try to trade for a corner or anyone. Colts could have got Chase Young or Montez Sweat for a third-round pick. Moves like that can make us better frustrate me with chris ballard when he thinks he is the smartest guy in the room seven years and we never do anything differently i feel like the colts have been chasing a defensive end forever and he doesn't even value wide receivers so basically the colts are screwed help me sorry for the long question from alex
1: Alex venting a little bit here as we return from the bye week um you think he was sitting there like Pounding on oh, the mean, keyboard with the thumbs. We should probably pray for the keys, honestly, for that keyboard there. Um, yeah, I, I think if we look at Alex's thoughts here, obviously a Ballard stubbornness, if you want to describe it as that, I think that's probably a fair assessment to make. You know, trade deadline stuff is weird. You know, it's not just a given that you would have been able to get those guys. Slash, you know, you look at how you might view them in free agency or what the open market could look like. You know, San Francisco is in much more of a "win now, we'll take a risk" type of move than, than the Colts are, and the Bears have plenty of draft capital uh, to make a move like that and still feel like they're not mortgaging a whole lot moving forward. And Now, again, having said that, I think it's fair to have questions about Ballard's, you know, overall roster building beliefs, construction, et cetera, et cetera. We've talked about that endlessly, and making some some adjustments to that. Um, I will say. And and I don't know maybe because this question has like so much like Ballard negativity in it I feel the need to like offer a dose of pos- positive positive positivity positivity dear lord um, coming back from the bye week as well boy Knoxville might and still you, be in my brain a little bit you here. teach journalism students right I know I know it's, luckily we just have to write it well I guess we do have to pronounce it a little bit right and you got to te- speak to talk or yeah. to teach right speak to talk there we go yeah they could tell. Uh, Not not a good day for the Kevin's Corner pod. Um, You know, offensive line wise, Eddie, they've been banged up and they've handled it, I thought, very well this year. And you know, Ballard, that was where I disagreed with them. You know, I thought depth wise they'd be tested there, and they have been, like, and having to rely on some guys up front. But they've handled it really, really well. So, um, you know, that's certainly something that I'd point to of a question I had for Ballard entering the year and uh, that group with Tony Soprano and company, and I think just having a little bit more of a non-statute quarterback. I think coaching does help. Shane Steichen, et cetera. That that obviously helps in that area.
2: Neil and Thomas ask a very similar question. They both collectively ask you that they recall you, as in Kevin, saying the worst-case scenario is to play out the season without gaining a clear idea on if Anthony Richardson is the guy, but being good enough to be five hundred and miss out On a high draft pick, do you still feel this way? Because it sure looks like that's probable, considering the opponents left on the schedule for the Colts.
1: Yeah, Again, I will sit here and reiterate what I said at the start of the year. If you're going to make a pie, and you're going to have slices of the pie, the biggest chunk of the pie would have been Anthony Richardson's development.
2: What kind of pie are we looking at here? Uh, yeah,
1: it's it makes, Thanksgiving week. I was about you can to say. Go whatever you would like. You can go pumpkin. You can go sugar cream. You could go. Uh, Colleen Bowen makes a great derby pie. It's pretty much just like a cookie dough. It's absolutely outstanding. Um, gosh, now I'm starving. I know. After that. Uh, but again, Richardson would have been a huge chunk. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i talking like 70, 75%, however you want to say that. And I guess I go back to the. You know, 98 season. Do you think there's was any Colts fan that loses sleep over three wins in 1998? No. And if you look at that year, Eddie, I remember looking this up a few weeks ago. I think of the 13 losses, eight were one possession games. Yeah. But Peyton playing that whole year, never getting benched.
2: Getting that experience. throwing the
1: most interceptions of NFL history of any rookie quarterback. You live it. And it can get ugly on the scoreboard. And there can be a whole lot of losses, but you get over it. And obviously, the baptism by fire for Peyton was exactly what he needed. And then you, of course, got the major piece with Edge in that next draft. I view it and say, okay, six- to eight-year window. How do you create the window? Okay, I think Richardson is a big step in the right direction. I think Steichen is a big step in the right direction. There are some other pieces on the roster I like, but there are still some other pieces I think are needed. How do you get the pieces? That's where I kind of fall into the, okay, if you're drafting a little bit higher in each round, do you have a better opportunity to get those pieces? Mm-hmm. Now, w- without question, you can point to other, you know, it, it, didn't, it didn't have to be Edger and James at whatever it was, four overall, five overall, whenever they, they yeah. took him. Um, but that's how I view it of it. So um, I just, more than anything, Richardson, again, playing 100, 173 snaps is the biggest bummer in the world. I mean that's I I know I haven't said something to that phrase in a few weeks but I will continue to go back to that. Half a it dozen such a kick in the yeah.
2: I was going to pr- try to cut you off there cuz <laughs> I knew where you're going. Uh you forgot pecan pie too with the um, bean. Pecan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way. Yeah. Oh oh uh by the way the interest has now been applied to those Reese's cups and it's got to be the the bigger the jumbo i got to go Jumbo Reese's. I don't know if they're called Jumbo or what, the bigger cup, I think. Do they I make don't know.
1: a turkey Reese's? I mean, they make a Reese's in everything. I'm, I'm sure they do. I mean, we know Christmas trees certainly will be yeah. out in full force.
2: All right, now back to the actual <laughs> uh, football part of this with the Colts. Half a dozen questions left. Rick So uh, says he remembers you saying that the Colts need a pair Anthony Richardson up with uh, a number 1 wide receiver to help his development, and he got to thinking the Vikings just won four straight games without Justin Jefferson. Is there a scenario where Chris Ballard is willing to pay what it takes to get Jettas here? Jefferson, Pittman, and Downs sound like a terrific trio.
1: Boy, it it does. Um, I think if I'm the Vikings and I'm looking at the future of my franchise, and I assume they're going to be drafting a quarterback at some point. I would think you'd want Justin Jefferson for that guy. Yeah, again, who is that wideout? It's not crystal clear, but I think you could at times point to you know Tyree Hill moving to Miami, or you know Digs to Buffalo is probably not exactly the one, but you know even AJ Brown to Philly and think to yourself, those guys aren't available. So, it, you know, people have brought up prior to me like, what about Ceedee Lamb? You know, Dallas has proven they can draft some wideouts. You know, would he be expendable at some point? Does it get into that? I I, I don't know, um, but I cannot see Minnesota moving on from Jefferson. But having said that, Rick, I probably would have said that about again Tyree Hill and AJ Brown for sure. Yep. Sometimes franchises, sometimes the trade package is just too good. Sometimes they view it and financially it just doesn't make sense for us. We've got to go in a different different direction, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Um, When the draft was coming around, you asked me if I would cut my pinky off, and I had said I'd cut more of my pinky off for C.J. Stroud. I would do the same for C.D. Lamb, by the way, <laughs> if you were wondering.
1: Pray for Olivia uh, and, and the fact that you know, from a handyman standpoint, you're, you, you're going to be pinky-less here moving forward. <laughs> Randall um, asked, Coach of the Year,
2: who you got? tell me why Shane Steichen should not be a top guy for the award. the Colts have won five games mostly with their backup quarterback which is one more than all of last season. Colts' offense is borderline top 10 again with a backup. If the Colts make the playoffs, I don't see how the award goes to anyone else. Front runner for me was Doug Peterson before they got smoked by the 49ers. Otherwise, Mike Tomlin, not a lot of impressive teams or records at this point. I am skipping over Andy Reid and Nick Sirianni because they were both Super Bowl teams last year and thus should not be included. Love to hear your thoughts. Peace to you and the Bowen Bunch. Thanks. Oh, the Bowen Bunch. Randall, I like that. Not the Brady Bunch. The Bowen Bunch.
1: Happy Thanksgiving to you and all of our listeners out there. I do have to say this, Eddie, and this kind of gets into the Coach of the Year debate. You know, he wants to eliminate Andy Reid and Nick Sirianni because they won last year. Dan Campbell? You know, part of me is kind of like, well, Dan Campbell certainly should be on the list. But let's just focus on, like, the winning teams. So they're not allowed to win Coach of the Year because they all they do is win? <laughs> right. You know, I feel DJ that Collier. way about, like big 10 coach of the year should it be matt painter or should it be the bubble team that now is not a bubble team like you win the big 10 by three games just because you're picked to win it that means that people say you're a damn good coach and you've built a good roster so i, I don't know if i'm in the boat of just kind of eliminating those sorts of coaches but i i, I hear you out um you know D'Amico ryan certainly you know shane uh, I, I agree should be on that list uh Right now, it would probably be Dan Campbell, right? Campbell or Ryans. And then maybe Steichen would be... I don't know. Is Kevin O'Connell on the list? Let me pull up a sports book here. And I'll I mean, losing the amount you know. of what the Vikings have lost. But yeah, I think Shane Steichen should be on that list. Now, I think just based off how the national chatter goes, I think Steichen's going to have to string a few together before it's it's a legit, legit... You know, when you're, what, ninth in the AFC right now, you're probably not going to be on that list, understandably. But... I think he should be in in that conversation if you string them together.
2: Uh so according to one sports book, Dan Campbell is plus 150, D'Amico Ryan's plus 350, Mike McDaniel plus mm. 450. Those are the only three coaches that have odds that are uh lower than plus 500.
1: Yeah, and again, I think I <laughs> I think I can sit there and be like, just because I might not put Shane Steichen one, two, or three on the coach of the year ballot right now, Eddie. He is plus 4,000. That doesn't mean that I am like, don't want to acknowledge he's done a pretty darn good job so far. So, um, yeah, I, I, that, that's how I view Steichen right now.
2: Which is tied for 12th best odds, by the way, with Sean Payton, Robert Sala. Interesting. <laughs> Uh, Daniel would like to know, if Anthony Richardson doesn't get hurt this year, what is the record of the Indianapolis Colts? He thinks it's safe to guess the Colts would have one or two more wins, the Cleveland game and possibly the Saints game, even though the Colts' defense was atrocious.
1: Anyways, keep up the good work. Thanks. Yeah, this is always in kind of a fun debate, Eddie. Wasn't like the notion at the start of the year, if you start Minshew, you would win more games? Yep. And now it's like, wait a minute. Now it's flipped. On that, I, I, would, I I'll go six and four. I'll give it one more win. I, I don't know if I'm you know ready to say like you know I mean seven and three and eight and two. I mean those are some big numbers. If you start kind of getting into that mold of it, again I keep on going back to we never saw him play on the road. We never saw him start and finish a win. You know how would you deal with just the grind, just the grind of a season? How would teams react to seeing him on film for a month and react to that? You know, would they? Would there be some sort of blueprint that would keep it in play? I, I tend to think the explosive plays that he made and just the poise that he played with would lead to, you know, an extra win. Um, but, you know, would that volatility ever kind of creep into it with that? So, uh, yeah, that, that's probably where I would go with it. Trio of course.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
2: Questions left. One of them being a nice little fun one that probably gets your head scratching a little bit. Uh, Creighton is up first of the final three. I've always been a big fan of the Colts need to draft Mike uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., or sign a big-ticket wide receiver? With the Colts winning more games, the idea of drafting Marvin Harrison Jr. is less and less likely. What would your comfort level of re-signing Michael Pittman Jr. and Josh Downs having another year in Shane Steichen's system that he seems to be figuring out well? That could be a great one-two punch, not even mentioning Alec Pierce and possibility of him working out. Then we take the best available wide receiver in the draft.
1: You know, this is a thought that has crossed my mind. Uh, I think I've mentioned before making the big splash at Whiteout, I, I've thrown out kind of a 12 to 24 month window. Like, I don't think it's necessarily like all those chips got to go in the middle of the table next year. Right. Um, now, I also think to myself, man, you know, can you get some earlier 2024 returns on it based off what Richardson showed? And I don't think you want to pass that up. So basically, I, I think the moral of it all, Eddie, is if and when you have the chance, you pounce. You absolutely pounce on it. Now, if you throw the franchise tag on Pittman and Pierce is going into a contract year, you know that still obviously leads to a lot of uncertainty at wideout moving forward. So, um, I don't think it's an absolute must to do it right here this offseason. But I still think you have an opportunity while Anthony Richardson is still in the rookie contract, while Bernard Ryan is still in the rookie contract. You're not paying a corner big money, an outside corner. You're not paying a pass rusher big-time money. You can't slam the door shut on those ideas. And you just never know when they're going to rise. Yeah. You never know when Tennessee's going to be like, yeah, uh, A.J. Brown's available. What? Hello? So, keep that in mind.
2: When you talk about, like, Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen, those are kind of like the two notable quarterbacks, and you add in uh, Tua – all three of those guys got that wide receiver entering their third season. Jalen Hurts got A.J. Brown entering year three. Um, Josh Allen made the playoffs his second year with uh, John Smokey Brown as his leading receiver. Year three, they go in with Stephon Diggs. Yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't surprise me if the Colts didn't just because the recent track record of how teams have done it. Has always been that third year.
1: Right. And you also, I think it's worth noting, you also had the Devontae Smith draft pick and the Jalen Waddle draft pick in Philly and Miami, respectively. So, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, those are substantial. I mean, you imagine if the Colts did that, draft a wideout in the top 10. Yeah. I mean, that would be huge. Um, You know, that's obviously not something they've done as a franchise. And obviously, they haven't really had the opportunity to do it either.
2: Uh, Two questions left. What do you think of the Maining-Cast banter between Eli and Peyton? This is from Daniel. I love Peyton, but would agree with Eli that he shows more love and bias towards the Denver Broncos organization. Uh Seems like the relationship between Peyton has always been strained with the Andrew Luck decision, which I get. I
1: think that's a good word to use. A little strain on it. Yeah. Did you see that? Peyton called it our ball. Yeah, when, when Denver got the fumble uh-huh. the other night. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's raising his kids there. I mean, he was cut. He was cut by the Colts. He's a competitor. You do not reach an insane level of competitiveness if you don't have a little bit of pettiness with it, too. Yeah. And sure. I mean, and I also think this, like, you know, I, I know this was kind of a popular topic last week when he said the R-ball thing. How many Monday night games have the Colts been on the last three years?
2: Zero. Well, one, right? Two? Two. I, I think two. Baltimore and Pittsburgh? Then three. Um. Well, because- the third one? Chargers, they had two last year, Chargers, Monday Night Football.
1: God, was the Chargers too? And
2: was that the Christmas one? I... So you
1: have a Chargers, Steelers, and at Ravens, correct?
2: Ravens was in 20.
1: I thought that was 21. But anyways, they haven't been on Monday Night Football very often. But I still think Peyton, and this is my opinion, I still think Peyton looks at it and says, I don't want to do that game.
2: <laughs> which, Even though he said it's all Eli, because
1: Eli's always got something going on. Yeah, I think that's a nice cop out excuse. Which I don't know. I mean, if it was Frank Reich, maybe I, I'd be hesitant. I mean, him and Frank had some sort of of relationship with that. I, I don't. He likes Denver a little bit more. I. I guess that we all want the Hollywood ending. We all want it to be beautiful. We all want the rose petals. We all want that. That's just not how sports fandom is.
2: Have you um? Well, that's how life is in general. So, have you had that conversation yet with Rosie?
1: <laughs> don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if she's ready for that. Uh, I might let Maddie take that one.
2: Oh, smart idea, smart idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, as if one Andrew Luck I'll reference. Just nod my enough. head on the
1: couch in the background.
2: As if one Andrew Luck reference wasn't enough. We have one more question, and it pertains to Andrew Luck. Oh boy! It is from Tanner. What is the over/under on Andrew Luck hitting the anvil? Five and a half seasons. And Andrew Luck banging the anvil. Well, this is five, right?
1: He retired in 19.
2: So this is four.
1: Five and a half years, that was the over-under. Boy, part of me wants to go over. I I do think if you could kind of talk him into like a... Basically, do you think he's going to hit the anvil next season? I was about to say, like, could you talk him into like the 10-year anniversary of the Orange Glove game, but then I'm like, well, shit, I mean, that's already passed. That happened in 2022 I'd like to say Four or five Like over under four or five Uh, I'd like to say under just slightly under But now that I talk about it out loud I don't know if I have any confidence in that Well this is year four right Well I think he's saying from now right Oh I don't know Yeah I mean obviously if he's saying From the day he retired then definitely over But you gotta have the team success Yeah Yeah and, like, you probably have to get away from, like... I mean, do you think he wants anybody on the roster still? I I don't know. I mean, I guess Ballard is probably still going to be here. So, you know, you know that is... That aspect. But, obviously, Reich's not here. I, I mean, Ursa's still here.
2: There would have to be some reason for him to be in town.
1: Well, he does. Do I mean, it. doesn't he live here? I mean, I know Palo Alto, you know, he, he's doing his education out there. Or he's furthering his education. He's coaching some football, right? Yeah. Palo Alto High School. Did you yeah. see that? Yeah. You got a lot, like... The anvil is just a revolving door, right? So, what do you got? Eight home games a year? Correct. Okay.
2: Well, depending on preseason,
1: yeah. So, McAfee does a game. He always gets the opener. Jack Doyle does a game. Bill Brooks does a game. Ring of Honor person does a game. Uh, you get in the month of November, probably a salute to service. Probably a military member does a game. Maybe uh, a uh, Pacers player. Best Pacers player does a, does a game. Maybe your best Fever player does a game. And then uh, didn't we have Zach Eady a few games ago? Yes. So if IU or Purdue has a great college player, did I just cover? Is that is that the Ring of Honor lineup on an annual basis? <laughs> did I miss Blue? Someone gets sick the day of the game and Blue slides over and does the anvil. I think I've covered it all. Joe Wrights maybe instead of Jack Doyle. Pagano make a return. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I prefer Luck probably over that. But. Or does Marvin Harrison do it next year when they draft his son? Look at that, Eddie Garrison. Thank you to Dame Brugler. Uh, for those that will not listen to Wednesday's podcast, have a great Thanksgiving, or maybe won't get to it until after Thanksgiving. Um, and Eddie, we will
2: be back on Wednesday with the pod.
1: We will be back on Wednesday with the pod. Colts slight favorite over Tampa Bay. I, Eddie, I know Baker Mayfield doesn't necessarily qualify that. I think this might be the easiest game the Colts have the rest of the year. Ooh. Tampa traveling from the West Coast. They got really beat up yesterday. You see that? I didn't Levant see. David, Jamal Dean, Carlton Davis, they got really, really banged up. So, uh, wide out quarterback-wise, I probably shouldn't say that, but the fact that they're the worst rushing offense in the league, and again, their defense really banged up, shorter, weak. Colts coming off a bye. You still have K. Dotton, Mike Evans, Chris yeah, Godwin. and that's probably the one area. Trey Palmer. That would give me a little bit of pause, but, man, defensively, man, they got really banged up. You see Purdy, perfect passer rating against him? Mm-hmm. He's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week. Enjoy it. Great, oh, Such a great sports week, as always. Uh, everybody, happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the time with your family. Safe travels. We'll talk to you on Wednesday.